Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Ruthless Passive Aggression. Before we get started real quick, I just wanted to make a couple notes and say thank you. You uh, you might have noticed that it's been a while since we released an episode, and that's due in part to a lot of things happening in each of our personal lives. You'll hear more about that in this episode. And you know, we don't keep due dates at Ruthless Passive Aggression. It's part of what makes this fun and not stressful. But I, myself, and on behalf of the other guys, would very much like to thank you, the listener. Thank you for sticking around. Thank you for supporting us. And thank you for continuing to listen to this podcast that we enjoy doing so much. So, without further ado, here is the newest episode of Ruthless Passive Aggression. Who has enough Ruthless Aggression? This is Ruthless Passive Aggression with your host, Jake Drake and the WrestleBucket. We will start recording in three, two... Now, just kidding. We're already started. Welcome to Ruthless Passive Aggression, the podcast where you take a pet... Or, sorry, where we take... A passive look at the good, the bad, and the worst of the golden age of grappling, the Ruthless Aggression Era. It's been a while. I kind of stumbled over the words, but I do have my paper this time to where I can read that that whole tagline off. Yeah, they don't do shit. They just sit there and they let our golden voices, you know, marinate and drizzle over their hammers and drums in there. So, yeah, you, you don't do shit. You just sit there and listen, listener. I'm so proud that you actually remembered the, the paper this time. I feel like we haven't had the paper in forever. Oh, while we were setting up, I was like, oh, I got to go find that and like dug through some drawers and stuff like we got to have that tagline in. Uh, but yeah. anyway, I am Drake Jackson. I'm Phil Brooks. <laughs> no, hey, you're wait not. Wait a minute. <laughs> wait a second. Uh, spoiler alert. I have, I have magically turned into CM Punk. Uh, just kidding. My name is Jake Edwards. Yeah, as of uh, this recording, um, CM Punk uh, debuted last night. Can't wait till we get to the CM Punk years of uh, WWE on this podcast. Uh, by the way, I'm the Wrestle Bucket. Yeah, WWE CW is so close yet so far away, and I'm looking forward to it so much because I actually like that whole era. I won't get into it too much. I'll save it for once we hit there, but that was a lot of fun. It was a beautiful and much simpler time. My favorite match of all time took place on an episode of WWE Yeah, I said that right. But as as Drake said, we got some stuff we got to take care of first before we talk about that. Yeah, and if in case you didn't realize, we are recording this the day after CM Punk has made his return to AEW. So uh, since we started this podcast, Edge and CM Punk and Christian and a bunch of people have returned. So I don't want to say we're the harbingers of that. And it's because we are bringing back everyone's love for professional wrestling. But I'm not saying they're not listening. We're game changers, boys. We've We've made a significant contribution to the wrestling business. And it's all thanks to us. Think about how much more game would have been changed if we had a uh, more consistent release schedule. Um, We are going to address that at the top of the show today, I believe. And just let you know that maybe we have some good reasons why you haven't heard from us in months, you know? Yeah, everyone's everyone's been pretty busy. I mean, I was stranded on a desert island for a couple months. (laughs) We've been looking for you for a while, but it's uh, we we tried a couple of rescue missions, but to no avail. Yeah, my entire outlook on life has changed, but one constant is this podcast. Bucket, what's been going on in your life? Yeah, what'd you do? In a very physical sense, I did uh, Mrs. Bucket, and then nine months later, we had a little baby <laughs> bucket. Um, yes, baby uh, bucket. I'll call I'll call her Baby B for short. Uh, baby B has entered this world. I'm a, I'm a new father to a little pale, little pale, uh, liquid container, always spilling out, changing her diapers. I just, just holding her in my handle. Like, and she looks just like me. And, uh, I apologize. I, my, uh, my potential for dad jokes 
has raised about a thousand percent. Um, so, uh, that may be rubbing off here, uh, as I'm speaking to all you lovely people and I apologize for that. Uh, Those dad jokes are going, going up the charts now. Yeah. Congratulations on that, by the way. Thanks. I'll post, uh, pictures once they come back from the photographer. I'm going to insert some, uh, some crowd applause right here. Yeah, there you go, Jake. Never mind. I don't need to insert it. I, I got a good golf clap going. Well, we got to keep it wrestling related, right? And a very common wrestling chant is, you fucked up, you fucked up. But in, instead of that, in this situation, people can just chant at me, you fucked, you fucked, you fucked, Fuck, you fucked. <laughs> <laughs> also, Jake's been pretty busy. He got a house. Uh, yes, I did buy a house. Um, so... Moved all my shit out of a really crappy apartment uh, that was five minutes away from each of you, and now I live on the completely opposite side of town. So, to continue with the you fucked up chant, I fucked up and moved on the other side of town. Yeah, for those of you that don't know, uh, my wife and I bought a house a couple years ago, and then Bucket bought a house that is literally less than a mile from me. It's more like a water closet. It's literally less than a water closet from me. And... (laughs) Uh, Jake was also on this side of town, probably less than a mile the other way. And now all of a sudden he's on the complete opposite side of town as us. East side. Oh, tell him how you saved a cat from a tree. Oh yeah, that too. I did get a cat. As we've mentioned on the podcast before, I, uh, did have a life living in the news business as a videographer. Um, I no longer do that. So that is another update. Anyway. Filmed a cat getting cut out of a tree, and then we brought that that cat home after she was uh, properly taken care of after falling 60 feet out of a tree. And so we brought her home. We named her Arbor, and um, we love her to death, even though she's a complete and total bitch. Aw, man. She hates our other cat, and they, they like to wrestle. So to stay on brand here, they do wrestle each other every once in a while. But sometimes our big cat ends up blading um, the hard way because <laughs> the little cat likes to uh, go all Nick Gage on her. Uh, you can see um, his cats soon uh, working AEW Dark. They're working their way up. <laughs> We're trying to get them a dark match in WWA first, but hopefully at some point we can get them in uh, to AEW Dark as well. Yeah, we don't do dark matches. Just have them show up to the building whenever Indiana's biggest battle royal happens, and we'll we'll try to get them in there. <laughs> Which one are we talking about today? So today we are looking at No Way Out 2003. It is the last stop on the road to WrestleMania 19. How can you see into my eyes? Oh, yeah. Like open doors. Wake me up. Wait a second. Wake me up inside. I don't, I don't see Ben Affleck here. Is this is this Daredevil? Is this Marvel's Daredevil that we're watching right now? What is going on? Oh, yeah. And I have a, I have a little bit to say about that in a little bit. But before we get to that, I think we should cover what has happened since the Royal Rumble leading up to No Way Out 2003. D'Lo Brown has gone back to the whole white man is keeping me down gimmick, but now he has former referee Teddy Long doing the talking for him. He's a manager. Uh, So Teddy Long is on the podcast. And then on an episode of Heat, Teddy Long betrays D'Lo Brown and debuts Rodney Mack, who was Red Dog, that guy that showed up for the one John Cena interference to get rid of Bull Buchanan. And a little bit of a fun fact there, I guess it's not so fun, but... Bull Buchanan got outed as John Cena's bodyguard and thrown away, and then he had that appearance in the Royal Rumble where he got eliminated within a minute, and he has been released. So no more Bull Buchanan. But Rodney Mack is here, and he debuts on Heat and beats Al Snow. It may not have been Heat, but he beats Al Snow with the worst Tiger Bomb ever and accidentally drops Al Snow on his head. And uh, shortly hereafter, I don't know if it's between now and Mania or not, but D'Lo Brown gets released and he goes to TNA. Where he stays there for the rest of his career until he ends up on Dark Side of the Ring as well, talking about everything he talks about. Here's something that people don't talk about, and I don't know if anyone remembered this except me. It may have been a weird fever dream, but I think it was (laughs) 2008. We'll, We'll probably get there. But D'Lo Brown does show up to Raw for like 
three weeks and has a feud with Santino Morella for the Intercontinental title. What? Yeah. I don't rem- I don't remember this at all. No, I swear that happened. Apropos of nothing. Oh, actually, fuck me. You're right. 2008. Yeah. Man comes back to WWE and um, not for long. No, it's literally like three or four matches. I think he pretty much was trying out to be an agent or something. But I remember he had a few matches during Santiago Morello doing the Honkometer, trying to get the longest intercontinental title reign of all time, and D'Lo Brown is like a small feud for him. We brought back the world's greatest neck twist for three weeks, and that's that's all the ratings could handle. Jamie Noble's crazy cousin Nunzio is seemingly no longer involved with Jamie Noble and Nidia, so that's been dropped. Nunzio loses to Rikishi, but then warns him about quote-unquote family. And then Nunzio versus Rikishi happens again, but Johnny the Bull, who you may have remembered from the backstage segment from Unforgiven, where we were like, hey, who is that? And uh, Chuck Palumbo from Billy and Chuck debut as the full-blooded Italians and attack Rikishi. This was also a faction Nunzio was involved in in ECW, but that version did not have Palumbo or Stamboli. It had people like Tracy Smothers. I was about to say, I wonder how shitty Tracy Smothers was feeling when uh, they didn't bring him in for that faction. Well, Smothers actually shows up to one of the one-night stands, I think. That's right, as I one did of forget the about FBI, that. But he's kind of just like a background guy kind of thing. I think it was 05. But, you know, Tracy Smothers never really got the respect he, he deserved. R.I.P. Tracy, we miss you, buddy. Nathan Jones is still coming soon. And here's a story from the Dirt Sheets. I don't really have any jokes for this. I just read this and was like, excuse me? Uh, <laughs> in 1989... Nathan Jones had to undergo surgery to remove a mammary because after years of steroid abuse, his left breast began producing milk. So this is a a, a telltale to why you shouldn't do steroids, kids. Otherwise, you're going to start producing breast milk and you're going to have to start feeding buckets little bucket. (laughs) You know, mad respect to uh, Nathan Jones because I have been advised as a new parent... That breastfeeding is the hardest job you will ever had. And to maintain that physique and breastfeed his little his little Jonelings, that's you know what, I, I have nothing bad to say about that. They do some weird shit in Australia. <laughs> I can't wait till we start talking about Nathan Jones leading up to WrestleMania, cause it it's so bad. Yeah. It is it's awful and then the guy ends up being in like one of my favorite movies of all time mad max fury road so like was he really yeah he was one of the bad guys in mad max and i didn't i never recognized him watching the movie and then like i saw like on some dirt sheet on facebook like around the time the movie came out that he was in it and i was like ah good good for you you couldn't wrestle your way into wrestlemania but you sure as shit could (laughs) could act your way into a good movie well, in the uh, build-up to this pay-per-view, Michael Cole interviews Nathan Jones, and Jones snaps and grabs Michael Cole, and then he says he has some unfinished business with The Undertaker, but we don't know why yet. And I also don't really know if we ever figure out what that unfinished business is, but we'll see. He's going to teach you how to actually wrestle, and we're going to break some kayfabe on, on UPN in 2003. On the weekly shows, Victoria and Jazz are feuding for the women's title. Uh, Victoria retains the women's championship against Trish Stratus in a street fight due to Stevie Richards interfering. Jazz makes her return afterwards and beats up Victoria, and then they both beat up Molly Holly in separate matches to intimidate each other. What did Molly Holly do to anybody? That's rude. I know, I feel so bad for Molly Holly and the whole build to this thing. She's uh, she's never gotten the respect that she deserves until she got put in the Hall of Fame this year, but... I mean, she's always been one of these people that's always gotten the short end of the stick, and it sucks for her, but... Only one employed by the company now. This is true. Oh, I didn't even realize. Producer, I believe. Huh. Yeah, I think she was recently hired on full-time. I don't really know where else to put this as far as going over some fun facts and stories, but here's something I read recently. Can you guys tell me where you think Victoria got the Widow's Peak from? What a stupid name. Who cares? (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know it says peak, but the Widow's Peak finisher move, whatever you want to call it, the the Widow's Peak, we know what it is. It's like the hangman's neckbreaker kind of thing. She had gone 
to an indie wrestling show and saw someone using it and said, you know what? I'm going to use it. And the person using it invented that move. And that person was Roderick Strong. (laughs) Roddy, Roddy, Roddy. 16 to 18-year-old Roderick Strong or something apparently was in there just killing backbreakers and stuff because he's had a very long (laughs) career on the indies before he even touched NXT. And it's so crazy to me that Victoria in a shoot interview was like, oh, yeah, I learned the Widow's Peak from Roderick Strong. I went to a uh, an indie show out in, I think it was California or something, and she saw Roderick Strong using it and said, I'll take that. Maybe that's his villainous origin story. Like, saw some, uh, some big leaguer take his move, and that is when Roddy went all in on backbreakers. At that point <laughs> forward, it's like, oh, steal my moves? Backbreakers. In his mind, he's just given backbreakers to Stevie Richards and the Victoria every time, and that's that's why it's more effective. And I have one more crazy story. So on Raw, we get Matt Capitelli versus John Hennigan in a tough enough one-on-one match, and John Hennigan, of course, would become Johnny Nitro, John Morrison, whatever you want to call him. Johnny um, everything. Yeah. Matt Capitelli ended up being a trainer for years at OVW, and he had some issues with some brain tumors and unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago. Um, but their match gets interrupted by Chris Nowinski, who gets chased off by Tommy Dreamer. And Dreamer then talks about how he's jealous that it took him years to get to WWE while these two just won a game show and then beats them both up with a cane. Uh, but since Tough Enough is now over, it is complete we need to talk about the Lisa incident. Dun, dun, dun. I don't even know what you're talking about. What depraved shit are you about to tell me? All right. I'm, I pasted this from Wikipedia. I'm just going to read it. We'll, we'll get some reaction as we go here. Uh, in the cover story from the October 5th, 2002 issue of the Pro Wrestling Torch newsletter, it was revealed that contestant Lisa was removed from the show after what was referred to as a, quote, psychotic breakdown. After being left at the house while the other contestants went out to dinner, she began throwing herself full force against the walls of the house, eventually breaking into the hidden MTV control room and working her way up onto the roof. After being talked down by producers, she was committed to a hospital facility to receive psychiatric treatment. Uh, Her parents flew in from New Mexico to pick her up, but she physically attacked them, claiming she did not know them. She then escaped custody inside LAX, shutting down an entire wing of the airport until she was located. Again, she was hospitalized, but she was able to check herself out shortly after. She then contacted Tough Enough producers, claiming that she was ready to return to the show. Producers informed her that she had been removed from the competition due to her actions. The other contestants, and subsequently the audience, were initially told that Lisa simply decided wrestling wasn't the right career for her. Lisa then re-emerged at Louisville, Kentucky, at the OVW Training Center, claiming that Al Snow and producer John Big Gaborik had sent her for additional training both in the ring and to learn further about the structure of the developmental territory system. At a series of shows in California, she managed to talk her way backstage and was even allowed to assist with the pyrotechnics for the wrestlers' entrances. One source claimed she had a face-to-face conversation with Vince McMahon, who was apparently unaware of her status with the Tough Enough program. Soon after, her photograph was circulated to security personnel, and she was barred from any backstage areas. Jesus. I'm speechless. Like, you just took me through... Like five roller coasters and that entire. It just keeps getting crazier, right? Like it starts with Lisa throwing herself full force at those walls and having like a, uh, what what was that Jim Carrey movie, the Truman Show moment where she busted through a wall and there was like an entire MTV control room. <laughs> And so it was like she was living a simulation to where she works her way eventually after shutting down the LAX airport. Um, ends up assisting in the pyrotechnics for the wrestlers. Like, can anyone do that? Can you just show up to a show and be like, oh, yeah, I'm with the pyro guys. I'm Maybe that's what happened to Undertaker when he got burnt at the Elimination Chamber back in 08. <laughs> she snuck her way back in it. Yeah. 2008. Like, that's that's bonkers. Like, how do you... First of all, how does nobody, like, not realize who she is? Yeah. 
you just hear crazy stories of security not doing their job, and that's that's one of them right there. Yeah, that's crazy. I uh, hope that Lisa got the help that Lisa certainly needed. Um, Yeah, it didn't say that. It didn't say what happened to Lisa, but I, I hope she's doing good. Holy shit. I, yeah. I'm just blown away that somebody, like... First, she goes to, like, OVW and, like, has this very believable story. Right. Because especially at the time, it's not like NXT Today where you show up and, like, there's 30 people that you'll have to go through in order to make that, that happen. It was probably just Jim Cornette and Paul Heyman sitting in the corner and be like, okay, that sounds that sounds believable. Come on, <laughs> come on and hang out with us. Yeah, and it's all capped off with her talking to Vince McMahon, of all people, and Vince was completely unaware of all this and was like, oh, yeah, you're tough enough? Come on in. Come on in, sweetie. Let's, let's have a chat. Like, that's so crazy. But, yeah, that was probably, I guess, other than John Morrison, the biggest thing to happen out of that tough enough season. We will not be seeing Lisa um, on this pay-per-view, unfortunately, or on <laughs> WWE proper ever again. Uh, missed opportunities, missed opportunities. Let's start off this show, because I know, I know you have some fun facts about the theme song to this pay-per-view, Drake. I know you have it. You're going to oh, tell yeah. me a story about how Evanescence and like Triple H had like a torrid uh, love affair or something just uh him and the whole band like not even just amy lee oh yeah and then that's yeah there's, there's got to be something to this right like how did they get the titular song off of the daredevil soundtrack on this pay-per-view now here's the thing this was one of the biggest rock songs from that era everyone's heard it i don't know if you weren't around at this time if you can see how big bring me to life by Evanescence was. I mean, it was everywhere. Um, and the the song pops up on Heat. You know, they're talking about it. Uh, Lita and Jonathan Coachman are talking on Heat about how it's the Daredevil song. Oh yeah, it's the song from Daredevil. In the build-up to the pay-per-view on SmackDown, they're talking about the song and Michael Cole calls it a rockin' song and Taz is like, Oh yeah, that's the Daredevil song. It's cool, man. Saw that movie Daredevil. Now they're playing the Daredevil song. You got the Daredevil song. You got the Daredevil song, Cole. What do you think about that? I didn't intend to say this, but um, after Baby Bucket was born, uh, she just rolled out um, and into the world and said, Hello, I turn on a... Uh, we get moved from delivery room to the whatever, the waiting room or whatever. Not the waiting room, but never mind. So anyway, I turn on the television, and what's on Sci-Fi but Daredevil 2003? Oh, yeah. First Marvel movie my uh, lovely daughter ever experienced, Daredevil 2003. Yeah, that was was a big awakening for me. I watched that movie, and then that song pops up, and Elektra's just in in her apartment training to go kill bullseye and like because her dad got murdered and i was like man women are so cool people couldn't eat up evanescence enough that they hit you with the second evanescence song in that movie oh you've heard them jamming now hear them being all sad and shit oh my immortal was on in there wasn't it (laughs) yeah that song is the saddest song ever hashtag Uh, daredevil spoilers if you haven't seen this uh you know 15 year old movie but amy lee and evanescence are still releasing music they just released an album uh less than a couple months ago and it didn't really receive much fanfare but i listened to it and it was all right it was evanescence was one of those bands where i had like some very emo friends growing up and they were just obsessed with evanescence so Mm. like that that woke up like a special emo part of my heart it woke you up. <laughs> woke you up inside. It woke me up inside, yes. Yeah. Well, sadly for me, I couldn't wake up um, at that time. I didn't have any emo friends. Man, so Amy Lee from Evanescence at that point was in a relationship with Sean Morgan, the lead singer of Seether. And I absolutely love Seether. I've seen him five or six times probably at this point, um, which is how they produced the song Broken which was another banger that took over the airwaves all over Top 40 Radio and everything. 
and then uh they they broke up and we got two really good songs from each band about the breakup so it worked out for us fans We'll be uh, seeing Seether again, um, I believe, at least one time um, as a as a band theme song uh, for a pay per view. I can hear it in my head now, but we're getting ahead I, of ourselves. Yeah, I'm not gonna name them off, but I can think of three off the top of my head right now. And they'll also be in SmackDown versus Raw. What one of them as well yeah. has to be. And hell, they're even on the Daredevil soundtrack. I had that Daredevil <laughs> soundtrack CD. I, I bought it late. All right. Imagine this. It's 2017, and your boy just bought the Daredevil soundtrack for 10 cents at a Goodwill. And the CD player in my PT Cruiser was not the same ever since. And unfortunately, when I traded in the PT Cruiser, I left that CD in the CD player. No! Yeah, so some lucky person that picked up a PT Cruiser for about $200 because it was barely running also got the Daredevil soundtrack. All five songs! <laughs> Look it up! Five songs! No, there were more songs than that. There's no way. Uh, maybe you got the deluxe edition. I don't know. You're damn right I got the deluxe edition. I got it from Goodwill. <laughs> Nothing but the best. Yeah. I mean, the $200 was a, a steal in itself for getting the, the CD, right? Well, here... Okay, so I, f- I found it online, um, and it does say five tracks, but there is no way... Oh, there were five singles from the album. And just so you know, it was called Daredevil The Album. It It was way bigger than just a soundtrack, all right? It featured uh, Fuel from uh, fuel just put out a new album they're still relevant they played casey's marina lounge at one point in evansville they're big uh the calling bleed for me by saliva which was the soundtrack to a video that made me want to get into video editing uh hang on by seether which was in that sweet scene where like ben affleck wakes up out of a casket and he's all blind and he's doing like pull-ups and stuff oh and he's counting his money yeah, he's blind. Uh, Learn the Hard Way by Nickelback, which was when Nickelback was actually tolerable. I'm going to get a lot of hate tweets about that, I feel like. You motherfucker. Yeah, you're going to get uh, hate from the Nickelback fans who are like, they're always good. Then you'll get uh, hate from the rest of the population that says Nickelback was never good. Yeah. Chevelle Hoobastank. Hoobastank just recently played in Evansville if you wanted to risk getting COVID to see them. <laughs> Finger 11. We got a lot of WWE like favorite bands that like I, the synergy here is off the charts. Do you think Jim yep. Johnson just like listened to this album and been like, I'm going to work with all these guys? Was it Slow Chemical that was on that album? No, but Slow Chemical was actually on the soundtrack for The Punisher. Okay, that's what I, I, I was... I had the Punisher logo in my head, yeah. but I've also got that associated with, uh, you know, all the, yeah, very, you know what I'm trying to say. Very easy to get backward. But anyway, they talk about the theme song on Heat, and then when, once Heat starts, Josh Matthews interviews The Undertaker as he enters the building about his match later tonight with Big Show, uh, and it's snowing hard outside. They're in Montreal, Quebec, you know, it's the beginning of the year. Every time we see outside, it's just covered in snow. Coach calls it a blizzard. Taker walks in from the parking lot wearing a beanie, sunglasses, it's already dark, jeans, a long trench coat, and no shirt under the trench coat. It's just open, (laughs) bare skin. He looks like a toddler, and his mom was like, all right, you can dress yourself today. And Taker just doesn't say anything and blows off Josh Matthews. Sarah, what the hell am I supposed to wear in Montreal? What the fuck am I supposed to wear? You know I only have one shirt. Why isn't it clean? (laughs) And then there was another weird moment in the show where Lita is showing off the new oversized 2003 WWE magazine, which includes pictures of your favorite superstars. And Coachman says, wow, what a shock. You holding the oversized magazine. And Lita just stares off into the distance and shakes her head, and then they don't, like, talk about it. They just continue on. I couldn't find anything online about it. It was just a really weird, surreal moment. I don't even get what they're incinerating. Exactly. I don't I don't know what the joke was. And Coachman's not heel yet. He's just a TV show host. He's just a very awkward, uh, awkward human being. I watched this show with Jake 
Um, he uh, picked me up from my house. He drove me to his house. He put me in his lap, and we watched this show together. <laughs> and as soon as the show opens, I know we're not even to this point yet. This was platonically, by the way. This is very platonic. Well, I was going to fall over otherwise. A cat was going to knock me over or something. Show opens. Jonathan Coachman gets about half a syllable of a sentence out and just hatred, like liquid shitting onto the coach. And I just (laughs) wanted to uh, confront you about this. I was too afraid to do it in person. I'll do it since we're talking over Skype now. What is your beef with Jonathan Coachman? Were you mad about the oversized magazine reference like <laughs> that I didn't know about until just now like what's with the, what's the beef so I I was assuming that he was already heel coach since we already had Bischoff um, and Chief Morley I figured I, I kind of figured that uh, coach was going to be a part of that heel train but um, I, I don't necessarily have anything against coach at that time hated coach when he came back a couple of years ago but um, I digress Maybe I, I blew my load a little too early there, so I apologize, Jonathan Coachman. But uh, I was looking forward to hearing Jim Ross talk about um, Steve Austin. Granted, later we got to hear him talk about Steve Austin, but um, oh yeah, I was expecting Jim Ross for that entire pay per view, and we didn't get that. Well, Jim Ross isn't here, but we'll get into why later. I was absolutely shocked whenever I found out why. Hiya, hiya, hiya! On heat. Ray Mysterio faces Jamie Noble, and uh, Ray's also been inserted into this feud that we'll see later tonight on the main show between Matt Hardy and Billy Kidman. Matt Hardy has vowed to drop 10 pounds to go after the Cruiserweight Championship, and it is, in my opinion, an excellent storyline. He dropped more than 10 pounds during this feud. He dropped trout, too, but we'll get to that. Um, Ray beat Matt in a match one-on-one on SmackDown where Matt struggles due to his extreme new diet, like he's passing out and everything, and so Ray ends up pinning him. And also, Tori Wilson moves on from her dad's death by talking with the producers of Girls Gone Wild in the build-up to this, and they're, like, continuing... the. There's going to be a big co-branded pay-per-view between the WWE... And Girls Gone Wild. And I looked into it, fellas. There's not enough meat on the bone for a full episode, but just know that there were a lot of weird lawsuits that came out of the Girls Gone Wild show. A lot of people bought, like, the Girls Gone Wild show because they thought they'd see WWE divas naked, and they did not, which is neither here nor there, but it was seen as kind of false advertising. And it was just, the whole show was an absolute wreck, and then it was never spoken of again after it happened. Was Snoop Dogg there? Snoop Dogg was there. Snoop Dogg is there, baked out of his mind, <laughs> just yelling. Like, there, there's one point where Nydia attacks Tori Wilson with a chair, and not like a steel chair, but like a big wooden chair, and breaks it over Tori Wilson. She's been injured on the stage. Now, granted, the crowd is there for a Girls Gone Wild party, and the pervs at home are watching it to see some women naked. And all the commentators are using, like, the Owen Hart just fell voice for, like, Tori Wilson just got attacked with a chair. And while they're having this somber moment of her being wheeled away by EMT, Snoop Dogg's like, Yeah, beat her ass! Come on! Yeah! Did you watch this entire pay-per-view for us? No, I, I read a synopsis and saw a couple clips... But I will not be bringing that filth into my home. We we need to watch this. This is for research, right? I'm sure there's an angel fire site out there that has the entire unedited video. <laughs> I think uh, I think that's also the the night that Snoop Dogg made fun of Kevin Dunn because Kevin Dunn was trying to get him to focus, and he basically just told him to shut the fuck up. Yeah, Bruce Pritchard has a really good story on that, and that leads into this because. Nydia and Tori Wilson are feuding at this point, and they're they're doing a paddle on the pole match on SmackDown, and then Jamie Noble runs in and decides to hit a power slam on Tori Wilson and goes to rotate her and just spikes her right on the top of her head. Noble then comes in and helps Nydia spank Tori for the win, but then Funaki makes the save. So like this is this is a feud of all the all stars of SmackDown at this point. Uh, 
the first uh, match on this show is uh, Jericho and Jeff Hardy, and now I am infinitely pissed that we didn't get some sort of mixed tag match with Funaki and Tori Wilson versus uh, Noble and Nidia as the curtain jerker on this show. That would have been infinitely better than what we got. You're not wrong. Yeah. Well, Rey Mysterio and Jamie Noble on Heat ends with Rey Mysterio dodging a charging Jamie Noble who hits Nidia on the apron and then they get 619. Noble dodges the West Coast pop but then he gets hit with just like a normal Hurricane Rana right afterward for the pin. And then Heat ends with a shot of The Rock arriving backstage, and he sees a chef in a hat, like a chef hat. And he turns around and goes, the hat, I don't like it, take it off. And then the chef takes the hat off, and Heat fades to black. Heat is some sort of bizarro world acid trip. <laughs> and it disappoints me, because at some point, it's going to go away, and we won't have that lead in. I blame the Highlanders. Um, Highlanders get on heat, and then heat goes away. So make it that way you will. I wonder how many people saw The Rock make fun of a chef and was like, I'm buying this pay-per-view to see the chef get his redemption story. (laughs) John Lasseter watched that and goes, I'm going to make Ratatouille like 10 years (laughs) from now because of this moment. And I know all of our listeners are having a issue picturing this scene backstage but just picture the rock talking smack to swedish chef from the muppets and that's kind of what it looked like dorgy dorgy it doesn't matter what you dorgy gorgy <laughs> and now raw and smackdown present wwe no way But yeah, we go right into the pay-per-view. There was no big hype package to open this. It just kind of did the whole, like, and now SmackDown and Eric Bischoff and Vince McMahon and stuff present to you No Way Out 2003. And that was it. I wonder if there actually was an entrance, like, video at some point. Because we got the entrance, like, we got at, uh, at SummerSlam 2002. Right, we've had like two pay per views now that have been like this, and it was like, I, I maybe it's just they didn't they, they played Bring Me to Life way too many times during the pay per view, so they couldn't afford to to include it on the DVD. But yeah, they uh, I I did look into it, and I could not find a record of an actual video package being played. Matter of fact, one review that I read was uh, a guy being like, "Oh, it's weird that like there wasn't an intro package, but that review also took place in like 2006, but so even he was like looking back at it." Right. But we kick off the show with Chris Jericho versus Jeff Hardy. Shawn Michaels is banned from ringside because on Heat Jericho said he would watch Eric Bischoff's back in his match later, and he wanted HBK banned from ringside just in case. Uh, the build was weird. Jeff Hardy keeps teasing turning heel in the build-up to this, and he keeps attacking faces like RVD and Booker T after losing to them. And then Shawn Michaels tries to give Jeff Hardy advice and is like, hey, you know, you're like a younger version of me. And Jeff rejects him, so Shawn just super kicks him. Uh, meanwhile, Jericho's feuding with Test, and at one point Jericho tries to hit Test with a chair on Raw, but Test moves and Jericho hits Stacy Keebler with the chair. And it looked like we were going toward Hardy versus HBK and then a Jericho versus Test feud. But then the day of Raw, where it was supposed to be built up and announced for the matches, Stacy and Test have a delayed flight um, whenever they're supposed to set up Test versus Jericho. So instead, we get a very abrupt Jeff Hardy face turn and he becomes friends with Shawn Michaels. And then we set up Jericho versus Hardy after a tag match where Hardy pins Jericho in the end. Glad to see that. It, it's it's always consistent. We can at least have like one dumb sequence of events to make sure we don't get what we were actually planning for for the, the pay-per-view. Oh, man, but we missed out on heel Jeff Hardy. Oh, God. Even like 2002 or, or I guess 2003 where Jeff Hardy's just not mentally there at all. That's that's a terrible idea. <laughs> We could have got him like his heel TNA run where he has that another me is what you will never see. The theme song where he's just kind of rambling. Isn't that Jeff Hardy all the time? <laughs> you uh, you told me what actually happened, but um, 
I choose to disregard it and not believe it in favor of my own headcanon. I was watching this match, and I just assumed that it was set up with a backstage segment that Jericho says, hey, I have the shittiest red highlights. And then Jeff Hardy was like, (laughs) no, I got the shittiest red highlights. And that's what led to the match here, because they both have red hair for some reason. Oh, yeah. And Jeff Hardy comes out and man, he is wet and slimy. I don't understand how he like it's like he showers with his clothes on. I think I said that in a prior episode, but I don't understand what he's going for here. Yeah. When old Greg looks cleaner than you, there's a problem. He's coming out rubbing his face like he's got glow in the dark cocaine on his face. <laughs> and that's how he gets hyped for the match. And I'll insert this sound here if I can pull it. But so they're starting chain wrestling and someone hits an air horn in the audience, but it was so smooth sounding that it didn't sound like an air horn. It sounded like someone brought a saxophone into the arena. Easy. That he'll be back in the seat normally like he always is tomorrow night on Raw. Yeah, we miss you, JR. Uh, my favorite part of this match is when uh, Jericho ends a sequence of chain wrestling just by smacking Jeff in the face. Oh, yeah, I'll always pop for that. Some true heel shit right there. Uh, Jericho crashes and burns to the outside, busts himself open. Jeff hits a whisper in the wind off the apron. He does a rebound moonsault to the outside for a near fall. Jeff is so good at this point, even though he's like still out of it. Like, it's hard to watch because you know with hindsight what kind of mental state he's in and everything. But it just shows how much he has that it factor that he's still just out of his mind and people are still loving him at this point. To be fair, though, this this crowd was loving some Y2J throughout that entire yeah. match. We're in Bizarro Land, baby! Yeah, Canada's crowds are insane, and they only get crazier as the Ruthless Aggression era goes on, kind of culminating with SummerSlam 2005. But uh, did you guys notice that uh, Jericho goes to do a backdrop on Jeff Hardy, and Jeff Hardy just hits the code breaker? Yes, I have that in my notes. Yeah, um, it, it really threw me off. I was like, did he just do... He did do a code breaker. Yeah. And Jericho doesn't start using that until, like, his 2007 comeback as a finish, so it just, like, gets a two-count, no reaction and everything. But I've, I always thought it was a pretty cool move. Um, I want to take a moment, um, you know, because it's a WWE match. They cut to the crowd quite frequently. Uh, there is a very distressed-looking fan in the audience wearing a Boston Bruins uh, hockey jersey and talking on their cell phone in the middle of this match Uh, while we were watching this together Jake said uh, you know they probably were saying something like oh look mom I'm I'm on TV or whatever but I have a completely different fan theory I theorize because the man looks out of place the man I think they're talking to their bookie I think they just lost a lot of money on a Boston Bruins game and they're hiding and they're distressed because they just got (laughs) caught on camera. And I did some research. The last game that the Boston Bruins played before this (laughs) pay-per-view was on February 21st, 2003, where they lost to the New Jersey Devils. Thus, you can't fully disprove my outlandish theory. You can't say the bucket doesn't do his research because he he does. Yeah, that that's some good research on there. <laughs> and then Jeff Hardy spit on Chris Jericho three times. Not a COVID friendly match. Yeah, every time I see someone spit on someone outside of COVID times, like because that used to be such a regular occurrence in wrestling, that now I'm like, no, don't, don't do it, no. At one point, Jeff hits a reverse twist of fate, but misses the Swanton, allowing Jericho to hit the Lion's Salt. Crowd goes nuts for that near fall, and then Hardy goes for a top rope Hurricane Rana, but Jericho power bombs him off the top and locks in the walls of Jericho for the submission win. I thought this was an excellent opener, like the crowd really got into this. Wanted both of them to win. It, it kind of was slow paced at the beginning, and then as the match kept progressing on and on, it just kept getting better and better, um, and that crowd just kept getting hotter and hotter. You can't you can't ask for a better opener. You think his name is Chris Jericho? More like 
Chris Jerry won't let go because he does not release this submission hold. Yeah, no, he won't break the walls of Jericho. And then uh, Shawn Michaels runs in to help Jeff. And I looked it up, but, uh, you know, Christian runs into even the odds. Crowd boos Shawn. I, I looked up, you know, what what was going down. This is the first pay-per-view Montreal has had since the screw job at Survivor Series 97. How do you not put Michaels in a match? Like, yeah, that 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 you're asking probably didn't want him to start throwing shit. Like, notice I I was so surprised they didn't uh, boo him. I went to a wrestling show one time where Earl Hebner's kid was there, and it was like 2010, and they chanted at the man, "Your dad screwed Brett." So like, <laughs> how is Sean unscathed in this show? So close to the screw job. You just had to keep him out of there as much as you can. Vince McMahon just hates Canadian money. He only wants U.S. money. He doesn't understand it. Loonies and toonies, goddamn, what does this mean? <laughs> uh, yeah, Michaels clotheslines Jericho out of the ring, but super kicks Christian. And if I didn't know any better, I'd say they're setting up for Michaels and Hardy to team up against Jericho and Christian at WrestleMania, but they do go in a different direction, as we'll see. I kind of wish that they did have a little like a brief moment in one of the raws afterwards where Sean and Jeff are sitting on a locker room and Sean decides, Hey Jeff, um, I know you're going through a rough time, but I really think it would help if we prayed right now. And he just goes like full minister mode. And Jeff is just like, what the fuck is happening right now? Get away from me. <laughs> Hands him that Philippians four thirteen tank top. Like he's a football player throwing a Jersey at him. Here you go, kid. <laughs> I only know Austin three sixteen. Michaels, get this shit out of here. <laughs> Have you guys ever heard that story about how uh, AJ Styles had never heard the Austin three sixteen promo when he was working the Indies? And so I think it was Chris Bosch at PWG beat him, and Chris Bosch grabbed the mic and impromptu was doing a parody of the Austin three sixteen promo. And he said, you talk about your Psalms, you talk about your John 316, Bosch 316 says, and then J like AJ Styles ripped the mic away from him and said, you don't talk bad about my Jesus. And then he walked out frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> this was in like 2007, 2008. <laughs> we'll never get to AJ Styles in WWE. The Ruthless Aggression Era. No is so over by the time AJ pops up here, unless we just decide, like, oh, hey, did you know that TNA had a Ruthless Aggression Era 2? Uh, which they did not. <laughs> they tried. I'm trying to see if he pops up in Velocity at any point. Oh, I know Kazarian and maybe Christopher Daniels do, so maybe. Um, I know AJ was working dark matches and had some appearances for WCW before they folded too. So we're in this weird period of time where, you know, AJ Styles didn't watch wrestling growing up. So we go backstage, Kurt Angle gives a pep talk to team angle and warns them that, Hey, we're not in America. So we might get booed tonight by a crowd that doesn't have any Olympic heroes of their own. <laughs> Kurt Angle is so good. Oh my God. Um, but anyway, Team Angle is set for a six-man tag against Brock Lesnar, Chris Benoit, and Edge. But then Kurt says he has an idea that will give them an advantage. And he starts, like, he huddles them up, and he's like, all right, here's here's the plan. And he's all sneaky about it. So the entire crux of this promo by Kurt is him dunking on two Canadians and Brock <laughs> Lesnar, who would later go on to be Canadian. Dude, Kurt Angle is just one of my favorites on the mic and everything, especially at this time. One of my favorite lines from that entire bit was he looks at Haas and Benjamin and goes, they're just a bunch of Canadians that want to be French. Don't know. <laughs> Don't know why that made me laugh, but it made me laugh. I also love how Kurt Angle's like, hey, I got this idea, this plan. We're going to like, let's huddle up and discuss this plan. But we find out later on, spoiler alert, that the plan is just to beat the shit out of Edge. <laughs> So, like, did he huddle him up and everything? Like, he had this elaborate plan, Then he's like, we go beat up Edge. We're going to make attempted murder tonight, boys. <laughs> like, he's got blueprints and everything, and Shelton Benjamin's like, we could just hit him with a chair. There's a lot of those around here. 
Um, all four members of Evolution show up in a limo. Evolution's a thing now, uh, which we'll get into whenever it's time for Triple H's match. And then they show a truck with Steve Austin's logo on the side in the background to make everyone pop. What? Yeah. What? Steve Austin's here. My opinion on this Evolution segment is that there weren't enough leather jackets. <laughs> Ric Flair is leather jacketless here, thus standing out in a big way. He left it in the limo. When the limo took off, he was like, oh, no. We now go to the Raw World Tag Team Championships being on the line. It's Lance Storm and William Regal versus Rob Van Dam and Kane. Uh, Raw's tag division's all over the place. The night after the Rumble, Chief Morley tries to get the Dudleys to return the titles to Storm and Regal since they use brass knuckles to win them. But they attempt to put Chief Morley through a table, and then Regal and Storm immediately attack the Dudleys, and they get their rematch, and Storm and Regal win back the titles in 14 seconds. So when the Dudleys won the titles back at the Rumble, their reign lasted for one day. Uh, the next week, Regal and Storm defend the titles against the Dudleys in a tables match, but when the Dudleys go to get the tables, there aren't any, and Chief Morley enters with the only table in the building, apparently, <laughs> and the Dudleys go after him, and three-minute warning beat up the Dudleys until Regal and Storm put them through tables. You think Morley went over to the merch table and said, I need this for a second? <laughs> Excuse me, can I borrow this? On the other side of this, Batista and Triple H face Kane and Rob Van Dam, and Triple H's group, not yet calling themselves Evolution, steal Kane's mask, which causes him to leave and go after the mask, and RVD ends up taking the pin. RVD confronts Kane the next week and is like, wait, why do you need your mask to fight? And later on, they settle their differences in the ring, but it goes for to a DQ when Jeff Hardy runs in, and Van Dam and Kane just beat the shit out of him. Jesus Christ, they're all over the place with their writing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also in the build to this, Booker T and Goldust lose a tag title match to Storm and Regal, and then they decide it's best if they break up and become single stars. They hug, and then the newly formed Evolution assaults Goldust and throws him into an electrical box backstage and electrocutes Goldust. And from here on out, for the rest of his career... Gold Dust, Dustin Rhodes, stays committed to the gimmick of, hey, I got electrocuted. And sometimes mid-sentence he just goes, which I don't think happens to victims of electrocution, but I don't know. Well, electrocution is something that results in death. Like, if you're electrocuted, you die, so. Yeah, electrocution is a mystery. Full of change in no one's <laughs> God damn it. That's, that's what happened. There was probably a sit-down interview with Jim Ross where they tried to name their band Electrocution, and he misunderstood. That was going to be their gimmick. Every week they were going to throw someone new into an electrical panel and electrocute him. It was going to be like Triple H with his sledgehammer. That was going to be their thing, and then they did it once, and they were like, wow, that looked really dumb. Bravo, Drake. Oh, that broke me. <laughs> I do love how, like, the reaction to Goldie getting electrocuted, they act like he had just died. Oh, yeah. Well, because he got electrocuted. There's, like, a couple of instances, like, in, like, the weeks leading up to No Way Out. Like, you had mentioned that Stacey Keebler got hit with a chair earlier. Yeah. When Jericho hit her with the chair, they spent, like, ten minutes of, the like, this two-hour Raw acting like Stacey Keebler just died. In the tag match, Van Dam and Lance Storm put on a chain wrestling clinic, and then Kane gives William Regal a scoop slam, and Regal is legitimately knocked out. Kane goes for a pin, and Storm has to break it up because Regal doesn't know where he is. Um, and I have a few details on this. I kind of looked into what happened. I know you guys did as well, but I had no clue this happened. Regal hadn't been sleeping well and was swelling up all over his body. And then this ends up being his last match for over a year because he gets a concussion and he gets checked out by a doctor. And it turns out he had somehow contracted a heart parasite on WWE's India tour that ends up nearly killing him. The fact that this guy, like, we had, like, read this information, like, shortly after he got the scoop slam and it was like, okay, he's probably going to sit out the rest of this match and Lance Storm's just going to kind of do a two-on-one sort of situation. It was like, no. 
Regal, like, still busted his ass throughout this match. And, like, any time he came in, we just kept sitting there and be like, why is he going back in? This He's clearly not okay. I was really surprised as well that Regal finishes this match. But if you watch it really closely, it, it seems like Regal's more involved than Regal actually is. Like, Regal goes and, like, appears there to catch a dive, because that's what you're, you know, supposed to do when someone dives. But you see that Regal just takes none of it and just kind of flops on his own with nothing landing on him. So, like, they did a really, I mean, it's it's not encouraged when you're hurt uh, to finish a match. You can you can lay down for a little bit, Regal. They, they typically have water <laughs> at the announce table, or at least they do nowadays. Who knows then? Okay, it's not the best option to keep them involved in everything, but if you're going to keep them involved in everything, they really do a good job of taking care of them. Shortly uh, thereafter, Regal gets tacked back in and drops Rob on his head. And oh, yeah. I think Lawler says something along the lines of, Regal gets dropped on his head, he's just going to go ahead and return the favor. Yeah, that's something that not a lot of people think about is like not only do you hurt yourself in there whenever you're continuing to go on like this, but y- you could legitimately be hurting someone else, you know? I, I got terrified any time he got back in there because for for that exact reason. Oh, and did you notice? I, I believe I heard the crowd correctly on this. They were noticing that Regal was being kept out of the match. I believe I heard a We Want Regal chant. Um, there was. At one point. Wouldn't surprise me, yeah. My I, in my notes, my uh, in parentheses says we want Regal chant, and then I was like, no, we don't, not at all. Yeah, well, it's because Regal was added into the Un-American, so he's Canadian by proxy, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, he isn't. He's not American, so it's not wrong. I mean, they're not going to chant USA at him. Not going to unironically start chanting that at him. The finish of the match, Kane's mask gets turned by Lance Storm, which I thought was like a really good move that I was like, yeah, why isn't everyone doing that to Kane? Um, but he can't see. So he thinks he's chokeslamming Lance Storm, but he chokeslams Rob Van Dam. And I, I don't know why Van Dam wasn't like, Kane, Kane, stop. Kane, quit. Kane. Kane. Or like, do you feel a ponytail? Rob is wearing singlet and has straps. Yeah. Don't you think you would feel the material instead of bare un-American chest? Like that, that was my hole that I found in the finish, but whatever. Kane goes to choke slam him and RVD goes up like 10 feet in the air and he's like, wait, Lance Storm can't get up that high. <laughs> but yeah, Regal then pins Rob Van Dam to retain and Van Dam just walks away from Kane afterward who tries to apologize. This match was, it could have gotten a lot worse, but like with Regal getting hurt, they did a great job recovering and kind of yeah, hiding sure. his, his faults throughout this match. And this injury that they experience in this may have been the best thing to ever happen to them. Cause who, if you're feeling sick or how are they going to look for a heart parasite? Is that the first right. 100 medical diagnoses that you're going to come up with? If someone's not feeling good, like no. Right. Yeah, for sure. And I thought it was an okay match, like a, you know, just like a standard tag match. But I also realized that, you know, we've got the world tag team scene over here, and then we got the WWE tag team scene on SmackDown, and I feel like I'm comparing the two, and that's unfair to the world tag team title scene on Raw. So to somebody that was watching at the time, I remember loving the Raw tag team division, and mainly it was because you had Dudleys, you had booked us for a short amount of time. Like, yeah, you don't have the SmackDown 6, but it's, in my opinion, it's just a tier slightly below what your SmackDown tag team division looks like. Right. All right. Well, we are about out of time for this episode of Ruthless Passive Aggression. We want to thank you for listening and, uh, you know, help us out. Give us a five-star rating on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Spread the word. Oh, and also, I've been, uh, if, if you've bought an action figure off eBay and received an ad inside the package with the action figure... That's from me. Welcome. Uh, welcome to listening. We're we're glad you're here. We're glad you stuck with it. That was a good call. We need those five-star reviews because there's a bully from uh, Drake's uh, high school days or something like this who was just hate one-star and reviewing things saying, 
hey, don't invite me to things anymore. So if you could just use all the Herculean effort that you could to uh, offset this one bad review. He can't even see that we're talking about him, and I can't see what he's saying anymore because I was trying to convince him that COVID was real on Facebook, and he blocked me. (laughs) Yep, that, that sounds about right. We need you. Only you can uh, prevent this injustice from... Oh, uh, that's... Okay, yep, I'm glad we're done. That's just... uh, Oh, yep, yep, okay. Bye, guys, I'm the WrestleBucket. Hey, I'm Drake Jackson. Go get vaccinated, give us a five-star review. I'm Jake Edwards. We'll see you next time on Ruthless Passive Aggression. Bye, buddies. Bye, buddies.